You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the stories you've given us. The Bible is a story of human failure and divine triumph. And as we talk about your story today, as we talk about how to share your story in a world of, filled with other stories, I pray that you will bless us with your spirit. In your name, amen. There's no question about it. Kids love stories. And it's not something that you grow out of either. I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we, we all enjoy a good story. I sometimes wonder if my boys are next level, though, because they, they could sit and have stories told to them or read to them all day long. They love it. But with all of the different stories, how do we be intentional about saying, okay, but this is the main story that we want to convey? Because remember, our main goal as parents is to bring our kids into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So how in do we take all of these stories and direct it into his story? In the book Child Guidance, page 193 by Ellen White, find this quote. Too much importance cannot be placed on the early training of children. The lessons that the child learns during the first seven years of life have more to do with forming his character than all that he or she learns in future years. The first seven years. And if Ellen White isn't enough, let's look at the research of the Barna Group. A person's moral foundations are generally in place by the time they reach age nine. A person's response to the meaning and personal value of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is usually determined before a person reaches 18. In fact, a majority of Americans make a lasting determination about the significance of Christ's death and resurrection by age 12. In most cases, spiritual beliefs are irrevocably formed when they are preteens. And I really like this one. Adult church leaders usually have serious involvement in church life and training when they are young. The statistics gathered show that more than four out of five of those leaders have consistently been involved in the ministry to children for an extended period of years prior to age 13. So, Sometimes, and this is less directed at parents and more directed at the church, sometimes we put off ministry until like, okay, we aren't going to do real ministry until you're youth or young adults. But it's too late. Kids are making their decisions before they get to that age. And then it's an uphill battle. And not only should we be teaching them the beliefs and introducing them to Jesus Christ and having them make that decision, we need to be getting them involved in ministry and showing them that not only 
can they make a decision, but they can be an active part of the body of Christ. So what are some ways that they can do that? So what are ways that kids can get involved? Well, first of all, if we think about what we talked about yesterday, modeling, one of the best ways to start getting your kids involved in ministry is for you as parents to be involved. Find some ministry that works for who you are. And I love that God has created us each differently. We are not all called to preach sermons. We all have different gifts and talents. And so figuring out what, what does mine look like and how can I make some wins for God's kingdom? And if you can figure that out for yourself, well, here's the beautiful thing. Our kids' DNA is shaped from ours, and so if it works for us, it's probably a pretty good fit for our kids as well. And so one of the first things you can do is find a way to get involved. And then, I mean, kids make fantastic greeters at church. On my walk over here this morning, I opened a door for a kid, and he stopped and he said, thank you very much. And, like, it brightened my day. And kids have the ability to break down barriers and make connections. They will liven up your church. And also, I mean, this isn't in here. But the research shows that one of the greatest factors of church growth is not who the preacher is, but how we treat kids. If your church has fantastic children's Sabbath schools, it is going to grow. Because young parents, they will put up with a bad sermon if their kids have got a great place to go. So another great way to get kids involved is get them involved in Sabbath school. If they know the stories, have them help tell them. Thanks. I kind of put him on the spot there. Um, one of the things about discipleship is being intentional about what our kids are exposed to. And I know everybody knows this, but, you know, we've got to be thinking about what are they watching on TV? What video games are they playing? What books are they reading? The music that they're listening to and the social media that they're involved in. Um, depending on the age of your kids, some of these are smaller um, concerns than others, right? But but all of them are factors. And um, in our kids, we're, we're a pretty low screen time family. Um, most of our screen time is COVID Sabbath school and FaceTime with family and um, what else? I mean, I, I think that's, that's really it. about it for our kids. Um, and I know that um, for some families, that's not an option. And that's okay. It's not just about keeping these things out of your life because we won't be able to keep our kids away from TV forever. We know that. They're going to go to other people's homes. They're going to be out on their own at some point. Um, so just saying, you know, you're never having screen time, that's, that's not an answer, right? Um, we, can, we can be guardians, though, of our kids, um, especially as they're younger, as, they, as they're growing up, we can, we can put boundaries in place as parents. Um, not only about um, what, you know, what 
screen media they're allowed to use or what books they're allowed to read, but also talking to them about why. Um, our kids need to understand because if we're going to have them be able to make their own decisions and be their own monitors of what is what is appropriate for them as they get older and as they move more in independently away from us, right? They need to be able to make a determination themselves. Is this something I should be reading? Is this something I should be watching? Is this, you know, social media thread or this uh, video channel something that I should be involved in? And so we need to be talking to our kids, no matter what your your rules or screen time limits are now, it's not just about only 30 minutes a day, although it's great to set limits like that. It's about what's happening during those 30 minutes. And are you aware of what your kids are doing um, online or um, what what's coming into them? Um, and especially with young children, they're, you know they're so impressionable. And we read just just a moment ago, some of the research from uh, the Barna Institute and, and what Ellen White says. Those early years are so formative, and so we really want to be intentional about um, what our kids are exposed to. And um, there are a lot of great educational um, things, programs, apps, videos out there. Not everything on a on TV is bad. Not everything um, in books is bad. And, you know, we know this. Um, but if they can learn it from you or they can learn it from a person, it's always going to be higher quality learning. Um, so especially the younger your kids are. Um, but the reality is our kids are all going to be exposed to all of these things um, at some point, no matter how sheltered we can make them. Um, when they're home with us, uh, we have to prepare them for making their own decisions about their media consumption in the future. So just something to think about. So talking to our kids, you know what? Um, we don't read this book because, you know, I really didn't like the way that um, the, the little boy was really disrespectful. You know, we, we got a book from, a li from the library one time that I really, I read it. And I said, oh, this is not a great book. And I started screening the books before I read them aloud to my kids after that. And But we talked about it. And I said, you know what? We're going to take this book right back to the library. We're not going to read it again. Usually we read books, I don't know, hundreds of times in the one week we have them. So um, we, took it, we took it back. And I said to my kids, you know, the little boy in that book was very disrespectful to his parents. He wasn't kind to his friends. And he wasn't kind to the people that he met. And in the story, there was no resolution of that. Nobody ever told him that he should be. Nobody ever, you know, corrected that behavior. And so that's, that's what I really didn't like about the book. And I said, you know, we're just not going to we're not going to get that book anymore. We're not going to get that series anymore. And my kids were okay with that once I explained to them. They said, yeah, that's kind of true. He wasn't nice. And I wouldn't really like to be friends with that boy because he didn't, you know. And so we talked about, um, and that's on a, you know, that was when my kids were probably three and one. So Arlo wasn't probably involved in the conversation. But um, but on a three-year-old level, he could understand that. Um, as our kids get older, we need to start having 
um, more and more serious and in-depth conversations about what's going to be available to them and how they need to be guardians of their own minds um, so that they're paying attention to what they're um, taking in from all the different media. Um, and so one of the things that you can do um, is you can make a family screen time or media plan. Um, you, you can you may not need to do this um, if you're not sure. You could you could do something that's called a, a screen time or media audit where you just kind of keep track for a set period of time. Recommended is a week, but that's kind of a lot of keeping track. So a lot of people just do two or three days, and you just sort of mark down, you know, every hour you sort of make a quick note of how much time did you guys spend in your house, you know, which kid was on a tablet, or how long was the TV on, um, who was playing video games, and things like that. Because a lot of times we think, oh, it's just a few minutes here and there throughout the day. Um, we don't, you know, I don't have any screen zombies at my house that are just, you know, the TV's not on for eight hours a day. But those little minutes that we think are so small, sometimes they add up in ways that we're not keeping track of. And so, um, so it's just something to think about. Um, and another way you could do it is keeping track of, you know, do you know what your kids are watching or what they're reading? Do you know what's in the books that they're bringing home from the library or whatever? Um, and so just kind of marking that down, what's the trend of the kinds of um, books and materials that that are being consumed in my home. And not it's not always just the kids that need it. Sometimes it's the parents. Sometimes you don't realize um, until you do a little audit and write it down that you know you spend all of dinner time scrolling your phone, you know, distractedly as your as your family is conversing around you. Sometimes it's the parents um, that need a little <laughs> that need a little boost. So again, just kind of like what we talked about yesterday with the family core values, it helps to write things down. It helps to just intentionally keep track for a brief period of time, and then you can kind of get an idea for what an average day looks like in your home, and you can think, is this serving my needs? Is it helping us reach our goal? And if it's not, how can we make some changes? Maybe you make a screen-free zone, like, no screens in this room. When we're gathered in this room, we don't have screens. Maybe you make a screen-free time. Um, maybe, you know, whatever it is that's going to serve your family and the goal that you're trying to reach. Devotions, family worship are another key way that we can intentionally make sure that we're communicating the right story to our kids. And here are a few tips for how to how to do family worship, how to do those devotions in a way that you can build that habit. First of all, you want to make sure you're choosing the right setting. If, if the setting you choose, there's lots of different distractions around, if there are lots of different toys there, it is going to be hard for your kids and possibly some of the parents to stay focused. If... If it is a mess and cluttered, it is also going to be difficult to stay focused. And so being intentional about, okay, let's find a place 
where we can come together as a family and we can focus on worshiping together. And so I remember when our kids were first born, we would do it in our son's room because we were doing it right before bed every night. But then when we had a second boy, we moved that to the living room. And that became the place. And before worship each night, we, we clean up so that we're, we're able to stay focused on that. Your goal is to make it a habit. And so habits happen by doing it consistently, making sure. And so having a set place and a set time helps form that habit so that they, it's part of their bedtime routine. It's part of, hey, we're getting ready for bed, so we're going to clean up, we're going to have worship, we're going to brush teeth. We're going to put pajamas on. We're going to go to bed. And so the other thing is you want to keep it relational. Um, I think that if we were to talk about the different family worships that we grew up with, there would probably be quite a spectrum here. I remember talking to one person, and they talked about how their father would open up the family Bible and just start reading, and sometimes it would be an hour, and it didn't matter if friends were over or anything. like. And so her and her siblings dreaded family worship, and they never wanted to have friends over there because it was an embarrassment, and it was... It needs to be relational. If, if the kids aren't connecting with it, it's not serving your purpose. And it's, it's easy to want to keep everything way up here, like, yes. But if it's not making that connection to the kids, at what cost? And so prayer also needs to be a key part. Teaching our kids to pray. Teaching them how to talk to God so that you're having both ways communication there. Like, we want to hear from God and we also want to share with him what's going on. And this is another great way that you can start getting your kids involved, and that is giving them the ability to lead out from a young age. And the way we do that at our house is we we have a week, and so if it's Emmett's week, he will say, okay, choose the song that we sing, choose who's going to read the story, and then choose the order that we pray in at the end so that he, he has some ownership. And then as your kids get older, they can have more ownership. They can start reading the story. They can start crafting the worship and planning it a little bit more so that they're engaged also in how we worship. And so, but... The routine and the model is set in place so that it's not, a, you know, whatever they're in the mood for, but rather they can take ownership of what the family is doing. One of the things I want to jump in and say is that sometimes um, you're not at home and things aren't going according to the routine. Um, but there are ways that you can adapt. You know, sometimes it is so late and our kids are cranky and we're on the way home from somewhere and we say, Emmett, it's your week. What song are we going to sing? And we sing it in the car. <laughs> and we 
we tell a story. You know, we have a pastor in the car with us, so he's a good storyteller. Uh, but, but we can tell the Bible story. You know, we can choose one in the car, and we can do worship in the car sometimes. We do that. It's still worship. We're making a joyful noise to the Lord. We're singing our hearts out as we drive down the road. We can pray in the car. We can, we can tell stories in the car. We can talk about our day and how Jesus helped us in the car. Um, so those things, they can be done. Don't break out just because you're not at home. Because, I mean, that happens to all of us. Um, and, and if there are people over, we invite them to stay with us for worship. Um, when it's our kids' bedtime, we don't just, you know, shuffle them off to bed quickly so that we're not interrupting conversation. We say, oh, it's time for our family worship now. Would you like to join us? And, I mean, nobody's ever said no, so... Not, not yet. Not yet. Um, but, but that's a good way to involve people and to help kids know that worship is important, not just on a regular day when everything is going according to routine, but every single day, every single place where you are, we have family worship. Um, whether we're in a hotel, whether we're at grandparents' house, or wherever we are, whether we have to do it on the way, on the way back, you know, we're, we make sure that it happens. And our kids actually won't go to bed without worship, so um, we've done that to ourselves. But, um, but it's a good thing because, because they remember and they say, oh, we haven't had worship, you know, and, they, and so we have to assure them, we are going to have worship, don't worry. We'll figure it out. Okay, you had a question. I don't want to derail this, but um, some friends, we were actually talking about this last night and if that's happening in our homes and who's leading it. Um, and many of us didn't grow up with family worship as a regular thing. So it's not an easy habit as you talk about that habit. And we have great husbands, I don't want to say, but aren't necessarily leading that. So as moms, we know that God doesn't just let us off the hook, say, well, if your husband's not going to do it, then nobody's going to do it. But how would you encourage us as moms who want this but um, don't have the history, the habit, and may not always have the support? Well, I'd say start small um, because it's really easy to think, you know, I need to dive into this new habit, but we all know it's like uh, New Year's resolutions, right? You dive in 100% and then like, I don't know, for me, four days later, it's totally out the window, and I'm like, well, that was fun while it lasted, right? But if you start small and you say, you don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to do some big, amazing thing, and, and you don't think to yourself, wow, it's going to be a huge hit with everybody in the family the first time we ever do it. It, it's, it, it might take a little bit of growing pains if you're starting later in the game, um, and that's okay. Um, so I would say keep it short, um, keep it simple. For our family worship, we mentioned this last night, um, we do Bible storybooks. Um, so we don't, we do our, our re- reading straight from the Bible as part of our personal devotional time in the morning, our kids and us. Um, so in the evenings, everybody is more tired. Our, our kids are little. It's right before bedtime. We do Bible storybooks. So um, some of our favorite ones are, we like the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, we like My Bible Friends. Um, you know, some of those classics, you could use the Sabbath School lesson. I mean, whatever you have, 
or, or a regular devotional book that um, we don't do those usually, but we do sometimes. Um, but, but a Bible storybook, whatever you have that fits the age group of, that your kids um, fit into, and you want always want worship to appeal to the lowest, you know, the youngest kid or the lowest attention span, <laughs> because that's really the one that's going to make things hard for you if they're not into it, right? So do the best that you can um, for, for that, that kid or, or adult, if it's an adult in your family, um, who doesn't have a good attention span. But um, keep it short and, and just say, hey, we're going to do this. Whatever time of day you decide it's going to be. Um, I know some people that do it at mealtimes because it's the only time they can get their family sitting down. So it's like, okay, pizza's on the table. I know you're going to be here for five minutes, so let's do worship. Um, you know, for us, it works as part of bedtime routine. Like I said, you know, we don't brush our teeth until worship is over. So um, just try to insert it into your day. And, and just be firm about it. And, and if, you know, if you have family members um, that don't want to participate, just say, well, this is what we're doing now, you know, and, um, and just do it. And make it as fun and interactive as you can. And um, I think you'll start to look forward to it. And, and kids will start to look forward to it as well. Um, and so I would just say, you know, keep praying about it and don't give up and just start small and then build from there. Um, and really giving ownership to the kids makes a big difference. Um, and if, you know, and if your, your spouse is not totally on board, um, you know, kids are pretty influential that way as well when they say, oh, daddy, I planned worship tonight. Will you come? <laughs> you know, or something like that. Um, I know our kids, my, my son sometimes leads out in prayer meeting. My husband does a very early morning prayer meeting every Wednesday, and sometimes Emmett leads out. And he always, like, invites all the extended family members. It's on Zoom right now, so he can so, but when a five-year-old calls you up and says, "Hey, I'm leading out in prayer meeting. I want you to come," it's it's hard to say no. Yeah. So we have groggy relatives, like it's five o'clock in the morning where they are, you know, tuning into Zoom because Emmett invited them. So, um, so that can go a long way too. But giving kids ownership. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not easy to start a new habit. I have a whole graveyard of dead habits that I've tried to start, so I know. Um, But if you can get the kids on board, um, then it's much easier to keep a habit. I mean, our kids remind us all the time of everything that we forget. So, um, so yeah, I would would say that start small and build from there. And also, play to your family's strengths. Like, if, if your family is musical, focus on that. But yeah, no, I, I'm not either, so I, there's no, no judgment there. But you could have your worship be more activity-based, where they're, they're getting involved. So. so I have three kids, and the oldest was not 13, and the youngest one is 5. Uh, and the youngest one goes to bed earlier. So is that a good idea uh, to have worship with a little one, just me and him? And then because my oldest one goes to bed later, they have worship with daddy. That'd be okay, or we should do it all together. <laughs> well, if it's working for your family the way that you're doing it, then there's no need to change it. 
So some, most nights you do worship separately with different kids because, um, because of the different bedtimes. And I would say, um, I mean, if it's working for your family and you feel good about it, then, then keep doing it. Um, you know, for us, we like to do things all together. Um, so that's what we would lean toward. But again, if, if it, if, you're feeling good about that for your family in this season of life, then then go with it. Um, if not, maybe you could try having everybody be together at the five-year-old's bedtime and then doing something more personal with the 13-year-old um, later on. So, I mean, it's, it's just what works for you. But we're not here to... We're not trying to say you have to do it the way that our family does it, but you just to be intentional. And if you're already being intentional and, it, and the way that you're doing worship is serving your family and moving you toward that goal, then there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so scripture memorization is something that I mentioned a couple of days ago um, that has been helpful. And, and this is something that we have been doing only fairly recently as a whole family. Um, and, you know, the kids have memory verses every week for Sabbath school um, and things like that. But I realized, you know, I'm, I'm not really a wealth of memorized scripture. I don't have a lot of scripture stored in my brain. I have a lot of my childhood memory verses um, that I can, I can dig up when I need to, but I'd really like to be better about memorizing scripture. And so I thought, I think my whole family can do this together. And so I started poking around on the internet looking for ideas, and I found um, that Charlotte Mason, I, she's, it's a homeschool thing. I don't know a lot about it, but Charlotte Mason um, has this method of um, doing scripture memory that we've tried in our family, and we're really enjoying it. And I'm learning scriptures along with my kids, and we're memorizing a lot of scriptures. And it's just like this simple box. It's not fancy at all. In fact, I put it out on Facebook that I needed one because you can't find these boxes anymore because I think they're pretty 1990s. So I was like, index card boxes are impossible to find now. Who knew? But if you have a friend... They might give you a free one, like me. So um, you can still buy index cards, so I was glad to find that out. But we just have cards, they're labeled um, daily, and then there's odd, even, and then there's one card for each day of the week, and then one card for each day of the month, so 1 through 31. And um, our box is not full yet, because we haven't started that long ago, but we, when we add a verse, we just started with one. So we put a verse in, and it's on the daily section, and so every single day, we take out the card, one person reads it, and the rest of us say it, along with the person who's reading, just once. We put it back, and we're done. So it takes, you know, that first day, maybe 30 seconds. And now, we have boxes, um, so... So today is, I don't know what day, the 23rd, so it's odd. So we do the daily verse and the odd verse and the Wednesday verse. It's Wednesday. So maybe three verses today because I don't have a verse yet for the 23rd of the month. But 
Eventually, we'll get up to doing four verses a day when our box is really full. And we just, you just read it through once with the family and then put the box away. And we have found that it's been so great. Our kids are memorizing scripture. We're actually memorizing it too because it's really easy to say, you need to learn your memory verse, but, but then I don't learn it, you know? Um, and so we've been memorizing it as a family, and we are able to use those verses throughout our day. Um, we're, we're trying to choose intentionally. We put the memory verses in there, but we also put... Um, our kids both have the same one right now, so that's pretty easy. But, but we are trying to choose verses that are supporting us through things that our kids are going through. So we have one who's going through sort of a fearful stage. So we put Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And that's something that can help him when he wakes up afraid in the middle of the night with a bad dream. We say, do you want to say your verse? And we say it together. And it's just been really helpful um, so there are also, you know, scripture songs that you can find and listen to. You can make up your own. Um, music is a way that kids um, really uh, resonate well with, and adults too, and it makes things easier to um, memorize. And there are also scripture cards that you can purchase. I prefer to write my own just because I like to choose the version so that um, I like to choose based on how easy it is for my kids to understand, and also how well it conveys the actual meaning of the verse. Because some of the kid versions are very simplistic, and they, I don't feel, accurately cover the depth of the verse. And so sometimes I look on Bible Gateway, and I look at a bunch of different versions, and I choose the one I want. Purists may not appreciate that, but, um, you know, we're not all an NIV all the time, or um, things like that. So, um, but I try to check for meaning and check for understanding. You know, how well are my three and five year olds going to be able to understand this? And that's the version we memorize together. The Sabbath is another place that sometimes is difficult as a parent. How how do you teach your kids to keep the Sabbath? How do you make the Sabbath fun and engaging? Um, and it is. It is not always easy. In Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, it reads, If you refrain from trampling on the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And sometimes we read this verse and we say, okay, I shouldn't, like, if it's something I enjoy, probably shouldn't do it on the Sabbath. But that's, that's not what the verse is saying. It, I look at it a little bit as like a date with Jesus. Like, for instance, if I were to go out on a date with my wife and we go someplace super fancy, downtown Edmore, and we are just living it up and having a great time, and then I get a text on my phone like, hey, you should try this new game, and I download this game, and I'm playing the game on my phone, we all know this is now a terrible date. Even though I'm having fun, we are not connecting, this is not a good date, and I will probably 
sleep on the couch. Think of the Sabbath that way. When you're thinking about things to do on the Sabbath, what are the things you can do that make it a date with you and Jesus, that you and Jesus are connecting with, you can do together? And the cool thing about dates is what works for me and my wife aren't necessarily the same things I would do if it was a date with me and my son. Because he's a different person, and so that changes the dynamic. And so what works for you on the Sabbath may not be the exact same thing that your kid should be doing on the Sabbath because that's not what would be connecting him to Jesus. Does that make sense? And so if you're going to figure out what's the best way for the Sabbath to be a delight for my kids, you've got to really get to know your kids and figure out, okay, like my oldest, that kid loves nature. Like they went to the zoo yesterday. He was so excited, like just all of the different animals that he got to see. And so if we can get out in nature on a Sabbath afternoon and he can explore God's creation, he's connecting with Jesus there. That is where he is thriving. And so figuring out what, what works for your kid and try to plan activities that way. It's one of the ways we can teach our kids, hey, this is... This is how we keep the Sabbath a delight. This is how it can be something to look forward to, something that we can experience together. And sometimes it helps if everybody takes a turn, you know, um, and say, you know, this Sabbath, you, you get to choose what's our special Sabbath activity going to be. Um, it's so much better than saying, nope, we don't do that on Sabbath. Nope, we don't do that on Sabbath. We say, okay, how can we connect with Jesus today in a special way that we don't get to do on other days, you know, because we're together. So really exciting. And we're going to talk about removing the boundaries of worship because we've talked about family worship. We've talked about scripture memorization. We've talked about Sabbath. And those are all great, but they're like, you know, little pieces of time, right? But we know... Um, we know our verse, our verses in Deuteronomy, um, they tell us when we're home and when we're not at home, right? All the time, all day long, from when we get up to when we lie down, um, we are, um, we're keeping the words that God's commanded us in our hearts and we're reciting them to our children. We're teaching our children all the time. And so we just keep coming back to that because worship is is not just one time a day. It's not just family worship and then that's it. It's not just Sabbath and then that's it. It's all the little moments that you can grab throughout the day um, to kind of bring everything together. These things, family worship, whatever whatever story you read or the, the spiritual point that you made, maybe it was a, um, you know, a nature nugget or, um, you know, a devotional about, a, a game that, you know, I don't know. Whatever it is, the the verses that you're memorizing, that you're working on, um, something that happened in Sabbath school, these all become touch points that you can go back to throughout your day 
as things go on, as things happen, and you can refer to them. Because when you're connected as a family and you're doing these worshipful things as a family, and when you know what your kids are studying and what they're reading, then you can go back to those things and you can refer to them. Remember in the story, remember how Daniel and his friends took care of his body? That's why we're eating salad. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, and, and I don't mean that, I always like to say that we don't, we're not trying to say that you should bludgeon your children with scripture, you know, and, and we're not saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear you say, you know, Jesus is watching you, so you better be good. You know, it's not, we're not trying to scare our children and, and beat them into submission with scripture and with admonitions, but we're, we're going back. We're saying, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. If they're afraid, you can say, okay, so what's a way that you can put your trust in God right now? How, what does that look like for you? Because it's easy to say, but it's harder to do, right? So you can say, you can talk to him because he's your friend and he loves you. You can, you can, you know, snuggle me and remember that, you know, God gave you to me. You're my little boy, and, and, and I'm here to take care of you with God's help. You know, we're, we're using these little things as touch points, the stories that we're telling our kids about, about God, about um, Bible characters, um, and, and um, object lessons and things like that. We can keep referring back. When we're out in nature, when we're out in the yard even, it doesn't have to be a big production. You know, sometimes it helps to just walk outside and say, wow, God gave us some really beautiful plants around here. Look at the flowers in our garden. God made such beautiful things for us, didn't he? And when you just say that little thing, it opens our kids' eyes just a little bit more to what God is doing all around us all the time and that his presence is is shown to us in everything around us. And they just need to look for it. Um, and to teach our kids to look for it, we've got to be looking for it too. The de Desire of Ages on page 515 says, Fathers and mothers should look upon their children as younger members of the Lord's family, committed to them to educate for heaven. The lessons that we ourselves learn from Christ, we should give to our children as the young minds can receive them, little by little opening them to the beauty of the principles of heaven. Thus, the Christian home becomes a school where the parents serve as under-teachers while Christ himself is the chief instructor. And so we're thinking about, um, I really like what this says, younger members of the Lord's family. They're, they're part of God's family, right? Um, and they're part of God's family now. It's not something that they're waiting to be in the future, right? Um, now, in the future, they'll be making decisions to publicly become part of God's family, right? But, but that doesn't make them any less one of God's family members at this moment. And so it's our job to educate them as best we can about what, what God is doing in our lives, which means we need to be thinking about that, and we need to be aware of what is God doing in our lives and, and opening our kids' minds to what he's doing all around us. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, it reads, People were bringing their little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for such it is to such as these belongs the, the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. At the end of the day, whether it be personal Bible study, whether it be family worship, whether it be scripture memorization, whether it be how we raise our kids to keep the Sabbath, our goal is to connect them to Jesus Christ. There are a couple principles that I want us to remember in that. First of all, all of these things have to connect to God. I'm going to step on some children's ministry toes for a moment here. There are songs like Father Abraham. I'm sorry. I know my kids love to sing it, but it does not connect to God. It is lacking in a lot of meaning. It is good to get the energy out, and I understand the purpose of it, but yeah, it's hard. We have a once-a-week limit yeah. at our house. Um, whoever's turn it is to choose the song, they're allowed to choose the song one time, and it's mostly because of Father Abraham. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but on the other end of the spectrum, we've got to make sure that our worships, the way we keep the Sabbath, those devotions are connecting with our kids. And sometimes we, we keep everything really high up and unobtainable where it's just the King James Bible and it's not connecting with our kids. And that's, that's not meeting our goal. That's not serving the purpose we want. And so we've got to make sure we make worship obtainable and connecting to them. And the other part is we've got to make sure it is connecting with God. It cannot just be fun and games. It has to also be, this is the God of the universe. And God has modeled this for us because he sent his son to be obtainable. Jesus, I mean, you read Philippians 2. Jesus lowered himself down below humanity to connect with us, to lift us up. And that, every single worship, has got to attempt to do that. And it's no small feat, connecting humanity with divinity. But that, that's what we're trying to do, because we want to build that relationship, don't we? And I realize that this is easier said than done. And with parenting, there are good days and there are bad days. And I realize also that sometimes you can try to do absolutely everything right, and at the end of the day, your children may still not choose to follow Jesus. And it's rough. And tomorrow, we're going to talk about that. We'll, we'll take some questions and then we'll close with prayer. Um, back to the family worship, uh, my three-year-old insists on me reading the story of Jonah every single day for like three weeks. I mean, he knows it to a T now, but is it okay to let him choose the story or is it okay to even read the same story over and over? I mean, you, you can probably guess what we would say. We would probably take the Father Abraham approach and say, we'll do that once a week. But 
at the same time, I mean, we also know that at certain ages, kids are connecting with different things. And talking it through, it's, it's not the end of the world if he is in love with a story. Just maybe try bringing out different points from the story and, you know, different nights. So you're talking about some of the meaning behind it. Our, our son, our three-year-old, is like way into Daniel and his three friends. Um, as in, he is basically like, he could do an audio CD of the My Bible Friends story. Yeah. It's, and, it's pretty and, incredible. And not miss a word. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And so, yeah, I mean, they get on these, and that's totally developmentally appropriate for that age, where they just are totally into the one story. So, hey, it's a big win because it's, it's Jonah, and it's not some other story that he could be completely obsessed with. So, um, you know, so as long as, I mean, as long as you're using it, you can decide what the boundaries are. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not the end of the world, I wouldn't say. You could try to move them towards some other stories and say, we'll read Jonah, you know, in the morning, or that can be your bedtime story, or, you know, like maybe a different time of day, maybe you can squeeze it in there too, so you can have some variety. But again, if it's working and he's way into it and you can teach him about God, go with it. Any other questions? Okay, my question, I have a 12, 10, and 8-year-old, and we've been having worship, you know, for many years now. Now my 12-year-old is not interested in worship like we used to do it with like my 8 and 10-year-old are. And so I'm thinking like, like he, the only thing he wants to do is like your story hour. Every time he wants to do your story hour, he does that for like bedtime. But I'm thinking, how can I do something that is actually, I don't know, because I, I have heard that, you know, connect to, you were saying like, say, do the worship focusing on the younger one. But like for me, if I focus on my 8-year-old, then my 12-year-old is like, he's not interested at all. So what suggestions do you have? I, I think especially, like, there's developmentally, as kids get, like, 12 and 13, they, there's a shift, and there's, like, a window there where they all of a sudden think they're adults, and then they realize, oh, wait, that's not true shortly after that. But lean into that. Say, hey, would you like to lead worship? Give, give him ownership. Say, what, how would you like worship to look? And every year in Berrien Springs, I have the junior high students, the 7th and 8th graders, put on a full evangelistic series where they write the sermons, they do the greeting, they run the cameras, they do everything. And we have about 30 decisions for baptism every year from kids. And so at that age, they're hugely capable. And you also, it's a beautiful window because after that, then they reach a whole other point where they're completely not interested. And if I waited until high school to do this evangelistic series, the kids would say, oh, no thanks. But that 12, 13 age, they're still willing to get involved. And so what's beautiful is if you can set that as a pattern now, when they get older, you can say, hey, I know what you're capable of. And they can't argue with it because they have seen how God can use them already. So if you can find ways to give him ownership so that he's leading out, 
end. You know, it doesn't have to be like, we're going to have worship now. You're in charge. But say, what, what would you like to, it to look like? And you plan it out and really see, see how that works. Because my experience with that age is they're excited when they get to lead. You know, and even if he wants to retell one of the Your Story Hour stories, that's okay. He can do it. Just say, you know, you need to make sure that you're making a spiritual point that we're thinking about before we go to bed. And your, your younger kids will be into it if your 12-year-old is, is presenting it because kids love watching other kids. I mean, my little boys go and sit on the front row at this evangelistic series that he's talking about where the, where the kids are preaching and they just watch, you know, enraptured and they just think, wow. You know, and they just can't wait. Emmett said, well, I'm going to be a student at Ruth Murdoch next year, so maybe I'll preach at the tent. I was like, well, it's not. Kindergartners really aren't preaching. But um, you might have to wait. But the kids are excited. When they get to seventh grade, they know, I'm going to be part of the tent this year. And so, um, so maybe, you know, if you say, okay, you're 12, you get to help plan worship. You know, you get to help us choose what worship is about. And maybe, you know, your eight and your 10-year-old, when they turn 12, that's something that they can look forward to doing too, or something like that. Any other questions? It's not a question, it's just a comment. Or comments um, about, uh, usually when I have time, I uh, do the audio on uh, Adventist homework, child guidance. And I'm just like, this is, there's a lot. It, it calls for consecration. It's because I think you guys mentioned it yesterday. I mean, like you, you cannot give what you cannot, what you can't, what you don't have. So, and also about the Sabbath, it's, uh, I'm from South America, Guyana, South America, and uh, life is different, obviously. Sometimes on Sabbath, I'm tired, I want to take a nap, and my kids are active, they want to do whatever. So, so it calls for commitment. It, it's like when you're single, you're single. When you get married, it's something you have to deal with. When you get kids, <laughs> it's another level. So it's like, you like, um, it's like you have to deny yourself and say, I, I, I would like to take a nap, but my kids, if I don't look after them, well, the devil will um, get something for them to do. And, and also about worship, um, I have realized that if it's uh, a variety each time, the kids will let, like if you're, for example, if, if you have a Bible story just reading, reading, I would notice that they're not paying attention because it's re- But if I know the story and I relate it to them and say, just look at the picture and say, this is what happened. David and Goliath, he was... He was he he went to see his brothers, whatever, and they they have more attention if you tell the story than than reading it. So that's just my comment. Yes, that's a really good point, um, and that's part of making worship relational, right? The more that you can involve the kids, and I mean, there are some stories that when we tell them to our kids, if we stop, or even stories when we're reading, they've read these books so many times. Um, that when we stop, they can finish the sentences, you know. Um, you know, I really loved it when Emmett was like two 
and I heard him saying, if I perish, I perish. You know, he was pretending to be Esther. It was, don't tell him I told you. Um, but it was so cute. And, oh, you, you troubler of Israel, he yeah. said to King Ahab. And so, you know, we would always stop and, and let him say those parts. Um, they like, you know, they like to yell the loud parts, treason, treason. Um, so, you know, involving them, if you can tell this story or if they can get involved in telling this story, it's so much more relational and it really helps them um, to be excited about the worship time. And I also like what you brought out about, like, the Sabbath. If we are thinking of the Sabbath as a date with Jesus, then naps don't necessarily make sense, do they? And we definitely take <laughs> naps sometimes on the Sabbath. That's not to but, say that it's verboten. Mm-hmm. But, but if you want your kids to take delight in the Sabbath and to really enjoy it, then you going into your room and taking a nap isn't helping you reach that goal. And trust me, this is, as a pastor, this is not an easy thing for me to say because after I've preached two services at Pioneer, I am ready to crash. But parenting isn't easy. You said it well. But we're working towards a goal. At the end of the day, when we look back, we're not going to say, wow, I wish I took more Sabbath naps. Is there any cost too great to bring our kids to Jesus? There isn't. We would sacrifice anything. And that, sometimes it it is going to take sacrifice, and it's not sacrifice if it doesn't hurt. And there are going to be times where it's rough, but at the end of the day, Ellen White, when she was had a vision of heaven, she they were trying to recount all the trials they had gone through on earth. And they couldn't remember them. And finally they said, heaven is cheap enough. There are rough days. There are trials, there are pains. And at the end of the day, heaven is going to be so good that it eclipses all that trash. That's a promise to parents as well. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for journeying with us. Thank you so much for walking with us and guiding us. And God, as we endeavor to introduce our kids to you through worship, through scripture memorization, through spending Sabbaths with you, I pray that you'll give us wisdom, that you will give us the tools we need to connect your children to you. In your name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.